Would you turn to Romans 6 with me, please? Now you should be ready to see the benefit of Romans 6. You should be saying, how can I be holy? How? How can I do it? And besides all those verses that we read, pursue holiness, pursue godliness, put to death the deeds of the flesh by means of the Spirit. Romans 6 gives us a great picture, and we're just going to look at a few of the verses here. The ones that we read, if we die, verse 8, if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. That's in the future tense, but the other uses of the future tense put it in, in, in its application today, like right now. It's that if you die, then in, in whatever day that is, if you die with Christ in that instant, you'll live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no more, has dominion over him. So only when death prevails over the person, only then does the life of Christ prevail through the person. If we die with Christ, then we shall live with him. Only when death prevails in you does the life of Christ come out of you. You're dead. We saw that last week. It says dead and, and, and death so many times at the beginning of chapter 6. Dead men don't get angry. Dead men don't selfishly want things for themselves. Dead men don't get upset when they're slighted. Dead men don't talk back. Dead men don't make threats. Dead men don't give nasty looks. Your anger is proof of carnality that you're not dead to yourself. Your strife is proof of carnality that you're not dead. Your selfishness is proof of your carnality that you're not dead. Your refusal to lay down your life for your spouse is proof that you're not dead. It's proof that you're carnal. To watch football and get angry with others because they interrupt, that's proof of your carnality. You're not dead. To, you want everything done your way, that's proof of carnality that you're not dead. And you get angry when other people do it in a different way. James 4, where do wars and fights come from among you? They come from the, the, your desires of war in your members. You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask and you do not receive, because when you ask, you ask amiss, because it's all about your pleasures. First Peter 2, 11, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, why? because they war against the soul. That's how the soul is destroyed, by sin. Dead men are dead, they just lay in a casket. It doesn't matter if they're recognized or not, slighted or not, abused or not. It doesn't matter whether they have, they have an enjoyable future in this life ahead of them or not, they're dead. They're at peace and it doesn't matter what lot they're there dealt. They commit their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. And if you're dead, then you're... Only if you're dead is your life hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Do you want to live? Well, then your life's not hid with Christ in God. That's only for dead people, people that have put to death the flesh. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to God. Romans 8, 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you want spiritual life? You have to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, or you will not have spiritual life. Verse 7, to free us from sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. We saw that last week. 
you want to be free from sin, then die. Die to self. <clears throat> how, how, how does it work? Verse 8 and 9. We know that Christ was raised from the dead and that he will die no more. So we believe that this will happen with us also. That when we do that, then it does happen to us. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer takes the popular, or death takes on a popular imagination of the form of a person. You, we need to see this in this verse. In verse 9, death takes dominion. It's ruling, it's an evil tyrant. It's subjugating men to his power and confining them to his dark dominions. And so he that is dead is no longer under the dominion of sin. Sin can no longer exercise influence upon him or have power over him. This person of sin is what, is, 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 is what it looks like. It's not an inanimate object. Sin no, I'm sorry, death. Death no more has dominion over him in verse 9. And, and later talks about that as sin, as an as a, as a animated object, as, you know, as, as a personhood. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin. That's this being of sin the rules and reigns and tricks and, and schemes and connives, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Do you see the parallel there? Lives to God, died to sin. Likewise, verse 11, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. Dead to sin, but alive to God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do you see that? Sin has the power to reign. That, that describes um, intellect and intent and authority. That's not like a chair. It's something that takes authority over you and it reigns in you and through you, through your members. And so you reckon yourself to be dead to that sin, but alive to God. You account it to be so, truly dead. Dead indeed is truly dead unto sin once, just like Christ, but reckon yourself or account it to be so to be alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Engrafted, as it were, in Christ in fellowship and union with Christ the Lord. And then when God, and then when Christ was raised from the dead, that you were raised with him. Account it to be so. You just do it. You don't have to figure out how it all works together. You just obey. You just simply account it to be so. That this is true. That because of what Jesus has done, I'm united to him in death, and therefore sin no longer has dominion over me. I'm dead to that sin. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign, as it did in verse 521. That sin reigned in death, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. By And, and the word mortal is, is used to implicate that, that, that it's liable to death, there's consequences to sin. Do not let therefore sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust thereof. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That sounds like it's saying the same thing, doesn't it? It's actually not. It's saying the first one is um, <clears throat> sin reigning in your mortal body, and the second one is using your members your appendages, your limbs, your, your body in order to commit sin, unrighteousness to sin. So sin has lust. Sin, if present, will reign over you. Sin will impose its will upon you. Sin will force you to comply with its, with its will. 
If sin is present, it will demand to be obeyed, and you'll be held liable for the conduct of yourself because you gave yourself over to it. God warns you, just like that wicked king, sin lies at the door, and its desire is toward you, but you must rule over it. And that's what he's saying here. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You have to put it to death. By How? By reckoning yourself to be dead to that sin. And neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. <clears throat> Committing unrighteousness for the being of sin. <clears throat> unrighteousness unto sin. Whether it's lashing out with the tongue in anger or coveting what other people's have or strife with argument uh, that has no peace with others or adultery of the mind and heart and eyes or any such thing. And neither your member, members let your members of your body be used for as instruments of unrighteousness for that sin. Because those things have done, they're for your condemnation and damnation because the wages of sin is death. Until this, until that stops, until, until you do this, until you reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, you're not sanctified, you're not consecrated, you're not holy. You're not separated unto God's uses only. And what does it take to get into heaven? Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And that we'll be judged, we saw that, based on our actions, whether we obeyed Christ or not. Why? Because why would you be rejected from heaven? Because you've chosen lust over Christ and become a worker of unrighteousness. You've chosen anger over Christ and given yourself over to the sin and you're a slave of sin. And Jesus said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But if you're a slave of sin, then you're not free. Paul is pleading with, his, with his, the people here in verse 10 through 12, stop yielding your members unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Consecrate yourself to God. Give your members over to him and his use alone. Stop sin reigning in your mortal body. Stop using your body parts for unrighteousness. Yield yourselves unto God in verse 13. Yield your members to God as instruments of righteousness, as alive from the dead. And your members as instruments presented to God for his use. Take my lips and let them be always only for my king. I think that's how it goes. First John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure, just as Christ is pure. Verse 14. For verily, verily. Sin for there actually means truly or verily or assuredly. So, Assuredly, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you are doing what this says, reckoning yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, then there is so much of God's power through grace given to you to overcome sin that it just falls off of you like bullet, like a like a slingshot off of a tank. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It shall not. The tyrant of being called sin will not rule over you. Whenever you flip the switch and stop doing what you've been doing, then sin will, it's impossible for sin to have dominion over you once you've reckoned yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. But that's what the implication is. The only reason why a believer sins today is because they like to. 
because they like how it makes them feel. And that's what is keeping them in spiritual death. And every time that you hear, oh, everybody sins, everybody sins, everybody sins, 1 John 1, 8, taken out of context again and again and again, that's enforcing your future home in hell. No, you have to break free from sin or you will not have the life of God in you and you will not have works of holiness unto the end of everlasting life. Are you proud? Are you content? Are you at peace in your heart with sacrificing heaven for a bowl of pottage? Is that what you want? You can have it. If you want your bowl of pottage in this earth, God will give it to you. You can have the bowl of pottage in exchange for heaven if that's what you want. But you're supposed to live free from sin and until that happens, heaven is not for you. If you've died with Christ and you've been freed from sin, and if you're in the likeness of his death, then you certainly will be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if you're not in the likeness of his resurrection, guess what didn't happen yet? You haven't died to sin. There's nothing that can stop the power of God from raising you up from the dead once you've reckoned yourself to be dead and need unto sin. God's love will flood your soul. That's what that's Paul coming into sanctification. For you are not under the law, but under grace. The grace working through you, the power of grace working through you, as opposed to being under the dominion of Mosaic law. So we just taught how to be free of the dominion of sin, how to be subject to the power of grace. The law is not to be shoehorned between those two things. Paul just throws in the law in verse 14, kind of out of nowhere, uh, but it's, it's, it seems to be a lead into verse 15. So the body is the instrument of the soul. Whatever's inside the soul is demonstrated through the actions of the body. With every look, with every word, with every voice inflection, with every action, that reflects what's on the inside of the body, the soul, that reflects the soul. Is there hatred in there? Is there lust in yours? Is it filled with filth and defilement? Because whatever's in there will come out. Or is it filled with holiness and righteousness and godliness? Because then that will come out in your lifestyle. And then you'll have peace with God and joy in the Holy Spirit. Good tree produces only good fruit, and evil tree produces only evil fruit. So look at your life. Is there any evil fruit that you're producing? Then there's nothing that you need more than holiness. And you're commanded to pursue it, to pursue holiness. Because if you don't get it, you will not see the Lord. This preaching of the gospel is the lever. It's the crowbar that God uses to separate the person from their sins. Otherwise, there's nothing that's strong enough to separate a person from their sins that's indwelling with them. And if you, if you continue in it, do not abandon Christ, abandon Christ's word, but continue in it, keeping this, under, understanding this and using it, the exceedingly great and precious promises of God that through these, you, that God's power is available to, to put to death your sin and so you can live in righteousness, that's the exceedingly great and powerful, precious, powerful promise of God for you. And by that, you can be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, like this verse teaches us how to do. And if you use this crowbar, then it will separate you from your sin. 
and your sin will, you will be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if you're disobedient, then despise you hearers, wonder and perish. All day long I've stretched out my hands to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good. But I was found of those who did not seek me, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me, Romans 10, 20. I'll never be condemned as a preacher before God for warning you to flee from sin and pressing you to pursue holiness, righteousness, and godliness. And to those who live right, the love will flood, love will flood your soul. You won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to, no, nothing will be able to stop that connection. Romans 8, 38, for I'm persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you'll have confidence in the judgment. 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he, Christ is, so are we in this world. How can you have, how can you stand in the day of judgment? Be dead, into, dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and then you will not be ashamed before him in his coming. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you've brought us to a different place in this time. Lord, I pray that every single person here would find themselves in a different place maybe than they started out as. Instead of thinking, what does it take to get to heaven? It takes being like me because I'm all, I'm all good. I'm all fine. And that you've changed their opinion, all of our opinion, to understand what holiness really is and what is required for entrance into heaven. And that you've given such mighty power to make that happen. You've given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we would be partakers of the divine nature. Lord, we're not of those that corrupt the truth or mishandle the truth, using it deceitfully with sleight of hand. We look upon it and we ask for you to teach us. And even if it throws our man-made worldly doctrine upside down, that is fine. Because we need the real map. We don't need the sketch done by somebody who is living in sin themselves. We need the real chart to keep us off the shoals and off the rocks and to keep us in the good, deep water of godliness, holiness, righteousness, and fear of the Lord. Turn each one of us this week, Heavenly Father, toward holiness, that everyone here would pursue it, just like the scripture commands, and that we would not consider it to be optional because Jesus will fix it all at the end, know that we would pursue it so that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. 
We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you all thanks in Christ's name.